Hey, this is episode two of the Honest Math Chat. I'm so glad you came back. Today, we're going to talk about student-centered math. We're going to cover what it is and what it's not. We're going to talk about why student-centered math matters. And then I'm going to give you some ways to implement student-centered math in your classroom. Let's go. Math classroom culture, math mindset, and student-centered instructional practices are just a few of the topics that we will cover on the Honest Math Chat, an elementary teacher podcast. We will feature practical ideas from teachers for all teachers. See, this podcast is all about helping you create a classroom where students are empowered to love and deeply understand math. If you want the math classroom of your dreams, or let's face it, maybe you've never dreamed about math because it's not your thing, come alongside as I, a former math hater turned math teacher cheerleader, show you how you can transform your elementary classroom. From just getting through the math lesson each day to making math your favorite part of the day and your students' favorite part. Let's get this honest chat started, shall we? So what is student-centered math? Simply, it's where students are at the center of the math class. It's where teachers take the role of guide on the side instead of stage on the stage. Have you heard that quote before? It's where students are doing the heavy lifting. They're the ones responsible for the thinking, the solving, the figuring out the best ways to solve, grappling with complex problems, sharing their ideas with their peers and collaborating to find more effective and efficient methods of solving. They're checking each other's work and making suggestions for improvement. Okay, so that's what student-centered math is. What is it not? I've got three things for you. There's probably more, but I've got three. What it is not is I do, we do, you do, or gradual release. It's not student-centered math if you are teaching students a way or a strategy and then having them practice that strategy with you or as a whole group or in partners and then having them do it alone. This is often known as the gradual release model. That's not student-centered. The second thing that student-centered math is not is practice problems where students are practicing a method or strategy and leaving those word problems that require more critical thinking or um, complex thinking until the end, until after they've mastered the method. The third thing it is not is having a discussion after those practice problems where you have students share their answers to the work and we're calling that a discussion. Look, I told you this was going to be real talk. I mean, the title is Honest Math Talk. And to be honest with you, <laughs> this is just scratching the surface, friends. Buckle up. And if you have it, pop your earbuds in if you're listening at school. Because I can't promise there won't be a couple of curse words here or there. I'm just going to be honest with you. So here is what student-centered math class is. This is my quick list, and I'm sure I'll add more as we go along in these episodes. Number one, student-centered math is students working on complex problems. 
Number two, it is a supportive classroom community that allows students to feel safe, to take risks, and work through those complex problems. Number three, we use open-ended tasks. Those complex problems have to be open so that there's an entry point for every learner in your classroom. And number four, is your classroom community is a place where everyone believes that they are a math person, that they believe they can solve problems because they have what they need inside of them, that you are spending time nurturing their math identity. Number five, thinking matters more than answers in a student-centered math class. Number six, a student-centered math class is guided by norms and high expectations for participation. Number seven is all about the teacher. The teacher in a student-centered math class is the guide. They're guiding students through grappling with complex problems. They're guiding them through that productive struggle. They're helping students collaborate and develop conceptual understandings through discussions and discovery. Okay, so that's the seven quick what is student-centered math? Now, let's dive into why this kind of teaching matters. I believe that student-centered math helps students rewrite or recover from the math trauma that they come to math with. Even our youngest learners come into math with ideas about what math is. And it's our job in our student-centered math class to help them address what they believe about math and rewrite that into positive experiences. These student-centered math classes help students develop a math identity where they actually see themselves as mathematicians and doers of math. And even if their past math experiences have been less than ideal, or even their family members don't see themselves as, quote, math people. Through this supportive math community, your classroom could change the narrative that students have about themselves as learners of math. That's powerful. That's why we have to do this work, friend. Another reason is your student-centered math classroom is going to allow students to learn from one another at a pace that fits them. Like curriculum, (laughs) curriculum too often dictates how fast we should learn. And that's just not how learning works. Just because the unit on addition and subtraction of numbers from zero to 1,000 is ending doesn't mean I should be finishing up my learning of that, right? That learning is an ongoing process. And so it's really about meeting kids where they are and building on their strengths and helping them along this learning trajectory of math. The fact is, is we do that in reading and writing, and we've got to start thinking about math as not isolated skills, but a trajectory of learning. More on that coming soon. Um, And then the third reason why this work is so important is when students discover they name and then they practice math in authentic ways, then they 
find a solution and a method that makes sense to them, they're not only more motivated to do the math, but they understand it better. So giving students these opportunities to discover and talk about in their own words, the math is so powerful. So let's talk about how you do this in a real classroom, a real elementary classroom. I would love to show you this. I feel like that's the best way. And since you can't all come into my classroom tomorrow, but well, okay, actually you kind of can. If you visit my website, www.locallearnersandco.com, there are two videos of my classroom there. One is my virtual 5-6 math classroom from 2020 when we were completely virtual 100% of the year, and one third grade classroom from a few years back. Um, And both are student-centered math classrooms. So go check those out. I welcome you in via video. Uh, But before you go watch those, let me paint you a picture of a day in the life of a student-centered math classroom right here in your earbuds. So here we go. I greet my students at the door, welcoming them in by name and really working on building those relationships and building the community. Students quickly get started on the math warm-up that focuses on explanation and reasoning. Today, it's which one doesn't belong. Students are selecting which of the fractions doesn't belong between three different models and one number line. They work independently for five minutes. And when they finish, then they just select another one that doesn't belong and can then defend their reasoning for that selection. After the work time, I ask students to turn and talk with an elbow partner and describe why they chose which one doesn't belong and explain their reasoning. I walk around the room listening in and making notes of who's saying what and thinking about whose ideas do I want to highlight for the whole class. So after about two minutes of lively conversation with elbow partners, I bring the class back together and I ask Maria to share what she's telling her partner. As she shares, students are giving signals that they agree or that they have a question or even that they disagree. Then Jarrell shares next. He disagrees with Maria. He selects a different one that doesn't belong. Simone finishes the share by letting everyone know that she agrees with both Maria and Jarrell, but she actually selected a different option. The conversation stops, but it's actually not ever finished. It's more like an ellipse. I have said nearly nothing in this conversation, but students are buzzing already, using math vocabulary about equivalent fractions and comparing models. I call the students now to gather on the carpet, and I project a picture of two pizzas. I launched the day's task. Taken from my math curriculum and slightly tweaked, I tell a story. I ask students to notice and wonder about the picture, and then I give them their first problem. I send them off to grapple at their seats independently. All my students jump in and run back to their seats with excitement to solve. I strategically call out students who get started immediately And I notice what they do, and then I speak it out loud, right? Wow, Zamir is already rereading the problem. Serena's drawing a model already. Ooh, I see that Zion has his name on his paper. Students work for about six minutes. I then stop them 
and ask them to turn and talk with a partner, that same elbow partner, to explain what they're doing and why they're doing it. Again, I just monitor. I listen. I'm keeping a neutral stance. And I'm taking note of who's saying what and where our current understanding is. At the end of the turn and talk, I launch the next part of the problem. I add in a little complexity and I naturally extend the first part for those that are ready. Students get back to work, passionately drawing, modeling, and using equations. Some students walk over to the supply um, closet and grab a bin of Unifix cubes, and then they return to their seats and they carefully start creating a model using the Unifix cubes. I continue to listen in, asking probing questions like, tell me what you're up to, or what are you doing here? How come? Or what in the problem told you to do that? I also continue to offer just-in-time scaffolding. I'll say things like, what part are you struggling with exactly? Or I see you're having trouble getting started. How about I reread the problem and you draw what you hear? I monitor student strategies and models, and I select two to three students to share their ideas with the whole group. I ask those students to be prepared. Then I ask students to pack up and come to the carpet, sitting down in a circle so that every child can be seen. Then students are ready to hear the shares. The first student shares while I scribe their strategy and model on the chart paper. The students all listen closely and give silent signals to show their listening. The next two students share and I continue to scribe. Finally, when the third student has shared, I ask the students to put their heads together with the person sitting next to them and notice and wonder about the strategies on the chart paper. I listen into these conversations as students talk. Then I ask everybody to put their thumb on their knee if they have something to share with the whole group. I start by calling on a student to share their notice or their wonder. The student, Lorenzo, shares that he notices that they all use different strategies. Lorenzo then scans the room and calls on Omari. I count down on my fingers silently from three to zero. It's a silent way that I use to signal that you better choose quick or I'm going to choose someone for you. Omari shares his idea and then calls on the next person. Two more people share. I then stop and ask to go back to Tisha's comment. I say, let's go back and talk more about what she said. How are these two strategies the same yet different? Who can speak to that? The conversation continues with students calling on each other and adding on to one another's ideas and asking questions of one another when they don't get it or they're confused. I listen intensely. I stop the conversation when it's needs to be refocused with a question or asking a question to point students toward an understanding or a breakthrough in a math concept. My goal here is to get students to do the explaining. When I hear a student say something that's really important, I stop them and I say, what did she say? Yanni, what did Tisha say? What did she say, Elijah? This repeating of an important idea 
it's called revoicing in our classroom. And I use it as a way to get a key concept or explanation repeated in as many kid voices as possible. Okay, so the students are getting antsy at this point, right? We've been on the carpet for 10, maybe 15 minutes. So we take a quick body break. We do some wiggles. We laugh 10, 15 seconds at most. Then we sit back down, take two cleansing breaths. And now we're back to the math. I refocus them. Okay, we've talked a lot today about equivalent fractions and how all three of these people that shared have the correct answer but arrived at it in three different ways. We've also talked about how we know that there's no one right way to solve, but is it okay that two of their answers are two-fourths and the other is one-half? How can they both be right? Students' hands shoot up. Then I remind them, put your thumb on your knee and wait your turn to speak. Students wiggle and bop around. They're so pumped to talk. A few students give their reasoning and then they use the signal that I agree, right? And we are continuing to talk about equivalent fractions. It's awesome. Okay, so I have to wrap up. Time's up. I can I congratulate them on another day of amazing problem solving and growing their brain and helping each other understand math better. The students end with the little cheer that we like to do at the end of math class and a promise that they will continue to grow their brains tomorrow. And we're on to science. And that, friend, is a look into my math classroom. So I hope that you got a few ideas. I hope that you have a better understanding of what student-centered math is, why it's important, and I hope you got a few ideas of how you can make this happen in your classroom as you stepped inside mine this afternoon or this morning, whenever you joined us. Well, that was the chat for the day, friends. I hope that it filled you up, gave you some ideas to implement tomorrow, and that you felt like you were chatting with your math teacher bestie, because that's what it's all about. If you haven't downloaded my ebook yet, Five Steps to a Student-Centered Math Class, go right now www.locallearnersandco.com slash ebook. You'll get five clear steps to engage your students and drive toward real deep math understanding. As always, if you have questions or comments, make sure to let me know. Check out the show notes. And then, of course, subscribe to the podcast because that's what you do with podcasts. Can't wait to talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace, friend. <laughs>